Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Geo and Joey show. Today, we have a special guest named Colton Bennett. He is running for Idaho State Representative. Joey, how you doing before we turn it over to Colton? Better than that is there. Hello, everybody. Welcome back Ooh, to the let me lower that. So, Colton, tell us a little bit about yourself. How are you doing before I get into some questions? I am doing very well. Thank you both for having me on. I'm really excited to uh, talk to you all tonight. So who am I? My name's uh, Colton Bennett. I'm currently a Republican candidate for state representative in Idaho District 6. And if you're wondering, where is District 6 in Idaho? It's way up north in the panhandle. little town called Moscow, Idaho is where I'm from. And uh, a little bit about me. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, my wife, Sydney, and I live here in Moscow with our daughter, Hadassah. And I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I served four years in the U.S. military and decided to uh, take a break from that and get out and pursue some stuff in the civilian sector. I work in healthcare, And I decided to run for state representative here in District 6. Uh, there's a number of things that prompted me to run. Uh, one of the biggest is the right to life issue. I really think it's important that we protect unborn children in their mother's womb. And I think it tells a lot about the character and integrity of a candidate where they stand on that issue. So that's one of the primary reasons that I decided to get in this race. That's who I am and a little bit about me. And uh, I'm excited to have a good discussion tonight. Amen, brother. Amen. Let me ask you a question before we get into the details of being pro-life and running for office. You know, you are a very young candidate, a very young man, even though you've served in the military. Most people your age are wanting to frat house and party and all that. What grounds you and what makes you so mature at your age to want to be involved in such a, a profound topic that is very I don't want to say controversial, but it is a very, you know, controversial, for lack of a better word. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And it's a question I get a lot of times. Folks will, they'll, they'll read about me, they'll read my bio, they'll be interested, and then um, they'll find out I'm 24 years of age, and suddenly they have questions. And I actually love to take the opportunity to talk about it, because a dozen of our founding fathers, the guys that put their names on the Declaration and the Constitution, a dozen of them were younger than me. Um, many of us have heard the story of uh, Captain Nathan Hale, who was hanged by the British for spying, uh, famous for his last words, my only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. He was 21 years of age. He was He was younger than me by almost half a decade. And so you look at examples like that throughout history and you see young people today and there is there's been a significant change in what we expect from the younger generation we used to expect them to um, step up to for their community for their country and things like that throughout history and and now we look on young folks today and we're like oh well maybe he's not up for the job uh, many of you have seen the, the movie Braveheart. William Wall Wallace led the Scottish mm -hmm. fight for independence, 29 years old, 29. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you look throughout history, there's been a significant change in what's been expected from young people. So what makes me different? Well, I, as you point out, I have served in the military. I served for four years 
I served overseas. Um, I've seen a little bit of the world. Uh, I'm, I've been married for three years now, and I got married at 21. And everybody told me, um, all my my buddies and stuff told me, oh, don't get married at 21. You know, you're crazy. Go out and live your life. But I've I've lived more life and had more experiences, realistic, wholesome experiences of, about what it means to be an adult as a married guy for the last three years than uh, bunches and bunches of my buddies that said, oh, just put it off. And then I'm a, I'm a dad, too. I have a little girl, Hadassah, who was just born five days ago. So I think all of these experiences, plus just having a job since I was 16 and paying taxes, Things like this have given me an outlook, an outlook on um, what it means to be an American and live in this society and actually care about the kinds of decisions that are made about it. Nothing will grow you up and make you take things more serious than becoming a father and paying taxes. When you realize where your money is going, you want to get involved. Joey, jump in here. Yeah, so I'm just going to say on the age thing. Um, it's been often reported that the vast majority of our leadership is, um, geriatric and, uh, the th like, obviously the lead candidates for both parties for president are put, are, well, one's in their eighties, one's about to be 80. It's like, I don't know, for me, having a candidate who actually has a future to live in this country post office makes me trust them more. In other words, they have a stake in the ship being durable past 10, 15 years versus all these geriatric candidates. I mean, they can make all the bad, like they can raise the debt and they can make all these bad decisions and they're not going to have to live with the results of them. I don't know. So I, that's something I like about having a younger generation of political leaders. Colton. And yeah, I, I, jokingly, I jokingly call the presidential contest right now between two guys tagging their 80s. I call it the Walker Wars. Um, and, and, and that's that's said with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. But there's a, there's a proverb in Scripture that has always stood out to me, and it says, better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. And the idea behind that is that wealth and power are no substitute for wisdom and prudence. Yes. And, you know, to mention scripture as well, in Job, there is a verse where he, where the young man who waited to speak after the older friend spoke, he says, I thought that wisdom resided with the older and which is, and then he says, that's why I waited to speak. But I realized that wisdom resides with those who fear the Lord. And so it's not a matter of age. It's a matter of being grounded. You know, you mentioned pro-life issue as someone your age and being young. And I don't I only mention it because a lot of people in your age bracket aren't concerned with these kind of things. What made you pro-life? Because those of your age tend to be on the opposite side of that issue. What grounds you in that direction? I'd say two things. First, great foundation for me to have growing up was scripture. You read, you read throughout scripture. God says things like, um, I, I knit you together in the womb. Um, and you have, you have John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb. And so you have constant 
reminder in Scripture that God clearly considers the preborn child to be a human being. And then as I got older and uh, began to look at the, the scientific arguments behind it, the, the pro-life cause can essentially be summed up through what we call a syllogism, and that is this. Um, it is always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Therefore, abortion is wrong. And so the argument that uh, most anti-pro-life folks pitch is they come down and say, well, the, the preborn child isn't a human being. And I think the science is very clear on that. I remember seeing my little girl on the ultrasound machine, and she was small, but she was a human. And it's very, it's, it's very telling, particularly with politicians, when they're not willing to stand up and speak up for little children in their mother's womb. One of my favorite political heroes is a man by the name of William Wallace. Um, no, not William Wallace. I'm sorry. William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce <laughs> led the abolition of the slave trade in England. And a famous painting at the time was an African slave in chains that holds out his hands and says, am I not a man and a brother? And the plea behind that 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 logo that was used by the abolitionist campaign was this. You have a group of people, human beings, am I not a man and a brother, but they have no political capital. They can't vote. They can't donate to your elections. The only thing that we can make is a moral argument. Am I not a man and a brother? And I see the exact same thing with little babies in their mother's womb. They have no political capital. They can't vote. They can't donate in our elections. So it tells me a heck of a lot about the politician if he or she is willing to stand up and speak for human beings, even when those human beings can't do anything for you. That is awesome because you're right. They have a moral argument. Their life and I, just like you, I remember my youngest, I'm a little older, but my youngest, had, we had a 3D ultrasound of her. And I mean, you can't deny that is a human life there and we need to protect them. Let's go to your district here. What are the main issues that you're campa campaigning on as you uh, look for election in your district? Yeah, so the, the life issue is a major area of difference because both my opponents, who are um, also Republicans, they don't quite agree with me on that issue. Um, but other issues that really matter to people in my district is, uh, is property tax. Um, since the, the value of houses has just gone through the roof, so have their property taxes. And so you have older folks who are getting to the point because they're on a fixed income with social security, but it's getting to the point that they're having a hard time making the property tax payments. And I think that's wrong to go back to a biblical mm -hmm. principle, the scriptural principle of honor your father and mother. I don't think it's honoring um, our elders and those who have come before us when we tax them to the point that they have to consider giving up their house in retirement and downsizing. And so I'll have I'll have older voters that'll come up to me and they'll say something like, 
I paid my mortgage off 15 years ago, Colton, but now my property tax bill is rivaling my mortgage bill. And mm -hmm. so that's an issue that's of significant concern to me, and it's something I've tried to address. Another one is energy independence. Um, Idaho's not like Texas or West Virginia. We don't have a lot of oil in the ground or, or coal in, in the caves. Um, we get most of our energy through hydroelectric from uh, dams that are put up along the river. And there's a group of, of folks that um, for environmental reasons, particularly because they're concerned about salmon populations, they're mm -hmm. trying to tear down those dams. And I've just said that's, you know, I'm all for stewarding the wildlife, but you can't take away 70% um, of a state's energy industry and triple an electric bill that, you know, you mm -hmm. got you to gotta come up with something better than that. So that's been another big issue that's come up here in uh, northern Idaho. You know, when it comes to the property tax, can you come and campaign here? <laughs> I live in what's considered... <laughs> I live in what's considered an affluent community, and yet I know some of my friends who are, you know, older and retiring, that they have side hustles just to help pay the taxes. Because, yeah, the house is free and clear, but the taxes are like rent in some other places. Um, Joey, jump in here. Yeah, so I actually see a through line with something you're saying. I've seen it before with a lot of our friends on the left who – and it, it maybe, I don't know if anybody else noticed this leap, but we started talking about the abortion issue and the degradation of human life. And then we go to the environmental issue. And what does the people on the left do? Well, the salmon, the salmon, we have to protect the salmon. So <laughs> on one hand, human life and human babies, that they don't need to be protected by the law, but we can inconvenience and punish human beings and their well-being in order to save you know the salmon and so i just think there's this uh, what is it uh in the early chapters of romans right where they start to worship the created things and i feel like i don't call myself an environmentalist i do consider myself like a conservationist right one of my favorite presidents was teddy roosevelt and i like that he set aside the parks and whatnot but the environmentalism has almost become its own religion that values salmon or eagles more than an actual human baby so that's just something i noticed yeah yeah absolutely you know and i'm not one who says i think humans do affect the earth uh, revelation talks about uh, that god is coming back to destroy those who destroy the earth it's a solution these politicians and no offense to you and i'm not saying you but i'm saying politicians in general <laughs> especially on the left, they don't have a solution that seems viable. It just seems like a money grab, right? Give us more money so we can help with the environment, but it's not. And I like from reading your website is that practical solution. You don't want to raise the energy prices because what's cleaner than, than hydroelectric, right? It's not like you're protecting something that could be damaging to the environment because it's beautiful country up there. Um, what be okay? So we spoke about abortion. We spoke about the hydroelectric and the taxes. What would differentiate you from your opponents? Obviously, we're not looking for mud on your opponents, but what makes you stand out? 
yeah, absolutely. And and the abortion issue is at the top of my list. Um, I'm the only candidate in this race that is 100% pro-life, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm grieved that I have to say that, but but it's mm-hmm. the truth. Um, other issues that are really important, um, I'd say, uh, when when you're looking for someone that you want to send to the legislature, you're looking for someone that you want to be a fighter for you, your constituents, the folks in your community. And obviously, neither of you has had the opportunity to meet uh, either of my opponents. They're very nice people. Um, every time I've I've met and had conversations with them. I think they're very courteous, very polite, but they really mm-hmm. lack that that energy and understanding of the issues that they're willing to go to Boise, our state capital, and really fight for these issues that matter to them. And I bring that to the table. Um, I've I've always had that passion, that dedication of go at it and give it 100% your all. Uh, that helped me through my experiences in the military, and I think that defines us in this race too. And so uh, I'm the only candidate in this race that's raised money from individuals in my district. So obviously if someone lives out of my district and they want to write me a check, cool, I'll take it. But uh, almost all of my funding comes from voters in the district. And that's different from uh, both of my opponents. One, One of my opponents, the incumbent, has raised most of their money from corporate donations, which is great. I'm, I'm glad the business sector is weighing in. Um, and then the other uh, has a lot of family money involved. And both of those things is great. There's nothing wrong with taking money from your family or taking mm-hmm. money from a business to run a campaign. But you also need to be representing the grassroots, the, the neighbors that live next door to you. They need to buy in too. And I think that's definitely happened in this campaign for my race. Um, and I'm really excited to see where we go from here. So in summation, right to life, I'm the only 100% pro-life candidate. Um, energy, uh, my youth is an asset. And third and finally, uh, we've got grassroots support. It's not just business money. It's not just family money backing us. Cool, cool. Let me ask you, for those who may not be in Idaho, in Idaho and who may not know about your district, but if they wanted to support a young person like you who's pro-life, who is uh, fighting for these issues, how could they contact you? How can they get um, you know, in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my website is the probably the best source I can send it, send you to. And that's bennettforidaho.com, bennettforidaho.com. And it doesn't matter if you type in four as in the letter or four F-O-R, both of them will get you to the same webpage. I own, I own both of them. So bennettforidaho.com. And uh, on my website, I have my phone number, I have my mailing address, and I have my email. And so I will, I will talk to anyone, anytime. And I have a rule. The Western United States is really huge. And so my district is several hundred miles across to to get to all the cities and communities in there. Uh, well, Texas, it would be the same, same thing. You've got mm-hmm. massive expanse. So I always tell folks, for anybody living in my district, I will drive anywhere to sit down for coffee with you and have a conversation. And if you live outside the district, give me a call, shoot me an email. I love to talk to folks all the time. Um, 
and communicate with you. So if you wanted to get in touch with me, my website, bennettforidaho.com, great place to start. And once we're done with the live, we'll put it in the description for those who want to um, reach out to him. Let me ask you, how has your military experience helped you in your political career and in even perhaps making a decision to go into your political career? Yeah. Um, I'll say three things about that. Number one, before I joined the military, I... Uh, was working as an EMT on, a, on an ambulance right out of high school. And I asked my, uh, my lieutenant on that, the ambulance, I said, um, hey, sir, do you think I should, I should go into the military? And he said, yes, go see other places around the world so that you know what you've got here at home. And he's absolutely right. So I did a year in um, Eastern Europe, what used to be under the control of the Soviet Union. And I've seen firsthand what bad politics looks like, what bad policy, what a, a godless society does to things. Um, I, when I was in Poland, I got to go see the Auschwitz concentration camps. Oh, and, mercy. And walk through gas chambers where I saw people who had dug their nails into the concrete. I got to see what evil actually does to communities. So he was absolutely right. Going overseas, coming back home, you know what you've got and you know it's worth fighting for. The second thing I'd say is, I, like every service member, I took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And um, Against enemies domestic and abroad. And I'm emphasizing Absolutely. the domestic. <laughs> Absolutely. That doesn't stop when I hang up the uniform. Like, I gave my word, and I'm still bound to that. And so when I see things happening, when I see kids being killed in their mother's womb, when I see um, older adults being taxed out of their homes, when I see policies that, are, that just don't represent biblical wisdom, um, I'm reminded that I took an oath to protect this country. And then the final thing I'll say is um, I, I was blessed enough to find favor in the eyes of my leadership when I was in, and I was promoted to the rank of sergeant fair, fairly quickly. Um, and I was, so I was given soldiers of my own that I was charged with. And I'll always remember what my platoon sergeant said to me right before I was promoted. He said, Colton, leadership means you take your gas mask off first. And, and what he was getting at is if there was a, a gas attack or something, everybody dons their mask to protect them from the gas. But then when the all clear is sounded, the leader is the one that takes his mask off first to see if it's safe. Mm -hmm. And then he has his guys do it. And so he told me, he said, leadership means you take your mask off first. And you really see that embodied in Christ, too. Like, here's the king of the universe, and he's washing feet. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that if politicians who, who hold leadership positions understood that element of leadership that was taught to me in the military, but also illustrated for me by my Lord and Savior, I think Washington and Boise and your city council would be a much better place.
You know, you bring up a point and you are a politician. So let me ask you, this is more in general, right? Major political things, especially in Congress. I mean, how do how does it's a two parter. One is the human heart. You being a Christian, you understand that the human heart can be tempted by things. And then the other part is the political part. How does a politician protect himself from the fact that, I mean, you look at some of these politicians, they go into Congress dead broke. And by the time they come out, they're multimillionaires. And, you know, and you see some laws that they're trying to regulate of no insider trading. The fact that they could do that for a while is insidious. But how do you, getting started, protect yourself from that temptation, from having corporate uh, money in your pockets that trying to puppeteer you? How does a politician, do, do you guys even talk about that? And how do you combat that? Yeah, 100%. So my grandfather was a municipal judge. He was a small town judge in uh, uh, Gallipolis, Ohio, and he served 10 years as a judge. Well, election time came around, and he had local political leaders that came to him, and they said to him, Jim, that was my grandpa's name, they said, Jim, if you play ball with us, and you do the things that, that we need you to do, and you make the rulings that we need you to make, you don't have to worry about re-election. And my grandpa said, get out of my office. And they said, Jim, Jim, don't do this, or you'll never win another election. But my grandpa stuck with his principles. He threw the guys out of his office, and guess what? He never won another election. But do you know what he kept? He kept his integrity. Yeah. You can sleep at night. And I've said, absolutely. I've said this repeatedly. The moment I got involved in, in politics is if I can't walk away from this, win or lose, with my integrity, ain't no reason to get in in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you a very practical example. Um, in politics, there's a, a business called political consulting. And so it's where you would hire people to be staffers for your campaign. They would like run your social media. They would do fundraising, this thing, that thing, or the other thing. There's a very successful political consulting firm. And I will, I will leave names out of it because I, I just don't, that's not how I roll. But a very successful political consulting mm-hmm. firm in my community that um, raised one candidate last quarter $56,000, which for a local election is significant. Mm-hmm. For context, I've raised about 12000 over the last year. So $56,000 is a lot of money in, in local politics. Obviously, yeah. Congress, it's different. Mm-hmm. But... In order to do that, they played really dirty, and they I would say misrepresented their opponents. And to me, that's lying. So mm-hmm. they called me up and wanted to know if I wanted to work with them, and I said, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my wife after, and I was like, did I make the wrong decision? And she was like, no, no, you didn't. And at the end of the day, you got to make tough decisions like that. And sometimes you have to say no to people and it'll cost you. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you support. It'll cost you power. But if you don't say no, you give a little piece of your integrity away. 
And I think what happens to many of these politicians is corruption comes slowly and then all at once. And the solution is you say no to it from the start. It doesn't mean I hate the people. It doesn't mean we can't smile or shake hands or, or be friendly. But it does mean I'm going to draw a line, even if it costs me. That's awesome, because it's the same way in other things, you know, the beginning of an affair or the beginning of cheating on your taxes or the beginning of cheating on an exam at school. You have to nip it in the butt the first time it rears its head. But but we're human. Right. And so I think I think people have to purpose in their mind, like Daniel, that I'm not going to go down that road and do it while. You're young. Do it while you're in the beginning of your career. Not wait till till somebody's dangling five, ten million dollars in front of you, because by then it's too late. Joey, jump in here, brother. You've been yeah, awfully so, quiet today. <laughs> so, um, my, well, my question. What? Well, I actually have a couple of questions. But one, um, one of the things we've been talking about here is you're Christian, obviously, and you're running for politics. Um, there's a couple of movements, right, that Joe and I have talked about on the show before, right? Christian nationalism, I know what the Catholic circles is integralism, right? This kind of idea that that really what we need, right, that the America's founding bargain isn't enough and that we actually need more of an establishment type system. Now, for Gio and I, like we understand that like religion listen, we we talk about the religious persecution that happens from the left, right? And that needs to be called out. But it's also true that the people who originally came to America were fleeing persecution from other Christians. And so I guess my question is, as a Christian in politics, where do you see the line between, say, a theocracy and just being a conservative Christian who acts within the proper realm of government? Yeah, great question. So for context, I'm from Moscow, Idaho, right? And you said at the outset, um, when we were chatting offline, you're like, Moscow, Doug Wilson, right? And so uh, Pastor Doug Wilson, he's a friend of mine, very well known in the uh, Christian nationalism circle. And um, the de his denomination, I don't go to his church, but I go to a church in the same denomination um, called the CREC, uh, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. And so the CREC has a very strong movement for Christian nationalism. And many of the big figures in Christian nationalism, um, they come here to Moscow to talk to folks, to hold conferences, that kind of thing. So this issue comes up a lot. I am not a Christian nationalist. And, and it, sometimes it puts me as the odd guy out in uh, yeah. the crowd. And that's that's okay. I'm happy to have those conversations. The the place where I define the difference is um, me being a Christian, a person of faith, informs how I live. And we've talked a bunch about examples of that. Times that I say no to folks, things that I'm passionate about and I'm willing to defend. It informs every aspect of my life. And at the end of the day, my I, I agree with Oklahoma's governor, Kevin Stitt, and Governor Stitt said, we need to have an eternal perspective on politics. And I, I truly think if more politicians had the fear of God and less the fear of money, our country would be a better place. 
Amen so, for that. So that's where my where my faith applies. I'm not a Christian nationalist because I do not believe that um, I am called to bring about Christendom on earthly kingdoms. I don't. Mm -hmm. And in fairness to many of my Christian nationalist friends, I, I'm brushing over something that would take hours to debate the theology. Mm -hmm. uh, but the long and short of it is, I just, I don't buy that. I find that Christ goes in before Pilate, stands in judgment before Pilate, even though he's the God and King of the universe, but he stands in judgment before Pilate. He doesn't demand that Pilate dip his banners before him. That said, I think wherever Christianity goes, it impacts the world around it for good. So uh, there's a historian who is not a Christian, and his name is Will Durant. And Will Durant wrote a book called Christ and Caesar. And he, he sums up uh, the fall of the Roman Empire like this. He says, Christ and Caesar have met in an arena, and Christ has won. Mm. And so I believe that. I believe that where Christianity goes, it impacts all those around it for the better. But I don't see a call in Scripture for me to, to demand that my government um, proclaim Christ as king. And, and a bigger part of that is Christ just is king. Like, mm -hmm. he is God and king. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need the U.S. government, this, the state of Idaho. He doesn't need anyone to affirm that. So um, very, I've brushed over topics that would take hours of conversation, and I've had these conversations. Um, but that's where I stand on the issue. I'm not a Christian nationalist. No, and that's awesome because here, oh, go ahead, Joey. Yeah, so I was just going to say, so I, and obviously we won't get into theology, but I think what you were alluding to there is post-millennialism, right? Yeah, so yeah. eschatology-wise, um, most Christian nationalists are post-millennial, um, and I'm, I find myself very close to that because my eschatology is I'm a millennial, um, and, mm -hmm. and I'm a Reformed Christian, so I find myself mm -hmm. very close to that. But, but even post-millennial Christians, um, they don't have to be Christian nationalists. If you think that the world is getting better and better and better, but you believe the best is small government, well, then you're probably not a Christian nationalist either. So, Yeah, I mean, I think the kingdom of God is all about persuasion, right? It's not the power of the sword. And that's where Christian nationalism goes out of. They want to be in government and run it through government, where if everybody was truly surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we would have a country that runs on Christian principles without it being necessarily legislated as Christian principles because, I mean, you look at a healthy church, everybody has their independence, everybody has their freedom, and yet they unite over the core principles that makes Christianity such a powerful force around the world. And so I appreciate that because, as you said earlier, as a Christian man, that doesn't mean the separation of church and state that you have to leave your Christian principles in your house when you do your politics. Christianity informs your politics, but we're not looking to, you know, legislate it down people's throats. That being said, though, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. You know, most of the complaint of people is that, okay, you're pro-life. Okay, 
So what are we doing after they're born? What are some of the things you believe in that we can help uh, the, the, the child after he's born? You know, because that's one of the biggest complaints. People say, oh, Republicans only care about kids in the womb and after the womb, who cares? Yeah, great question. And um, I've got answers. So one of the <laughs> things when I, when I, I launched my campaign that I was talking about was uh, I think Idaho should be the first state in the union to adopt, um, um, adopt a child support payment program um, where fathers, once their paternity can be confirmed, which I think is about 15 weeks of pregnancy, that they have to support the mom of their unborn child. So I think child support payments should start before birth. And uh, when I first launched my campaign, my wife was pregnant at the time, and it, it just amazes me that we haven't done that as a society yet. Like, do we realize how hard and how expensive it is to uh, get a pregnant mother the medical care and the the treatment and the things that she needs? Like. You don't have baby born and then all of a sudden you need to buy all the baby clothes and the crib and all that. No, you need to buy that before baby's born. So I think I think child support payments should start before uh, birth, as soon as we can confirm paternity. And that's one of the things that I've called for. And so people do bring up a lot of examples of single moms and terrible situations that they find themselves in. And they seem to think that those are justification for abortion. No, those are a justification to address the terrible situations that single moms find themselves in. Let's solve the problem, um, address the problem. Don't harm an innocent person in the process. So I'm definitely like 100%. That. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I like what you said there about once you confirm the the parental, I mean the father, who the father is, to start the payments. Because I think even though the three of us believe in the dignity of a life in the womb, I think to the secular mind or to the mind who hasn't thought it through, I think something like that would legitimize more the personhood of the child, right? You and I don't need that. But if a man says, oh, wait a minute, if I'm confirmed to be the father, I got to start making payments even before the child is born. They may start thinking twice about what they're doing uh, between the sheets. Right. And that's a different yep. story. But yeah, no, that's good. I like that. Um, Joey, jump in here. Yeah, I was just going to say one thing I like about that. And I think a lot of our problems in America today is that all of our discourse about liberty, right? And don't get me wrong, like I'm as American as it gets, right? Like I like waving the flag and shooting guns and talking about freedom. And like, I'm all for that. But sometimes I feel like in our discourse, both parties, right, have kind of adopted this freedom, 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 but they don't realize that what's the flip side of liberty? Well, it's duty, right? And so, yes, yes, we want people to be free, right? But also a mother has a duty to her child. A father has a duty to his child and a duty to, you know, the woman who gets pregnant. And, and like that is all baked in to the kind of American tradition of liberty, right? The idea that we, the idea that we can have self-government means that we're going to have a, a people who are self-governing. Um, and if we lose that, and I feel like a lot of our discourse kind of has lost that. So I like 
I like that policy proposal. Let me ask you. 100%. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just said I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, yeah. Let me ask you this question more philosophical. What do you tell a young lady or a young man who encouraged a young lady who've already gotten an abortion? What do you tell them going forward? They recognize now they made a big mistake. But how do you... I don't want to say minister because you're not a minister, but you are a public servant. And the Bible does call you a minister of God in Romans chapter 13. So how would you encourage them having made such a life changing mistake? Yeah, no, 100 percent. And I think that the statistics show that nationwide, it's something like one in five women have had an abortion at some point in their life. Now, obviously, depending on where you live. Those numbers are very different. It's probably much higher in New York and California and much lower in Idaho and Texas. But um, I, ha I, I keep that in mind every time I'm speaking to a group is that there's a very good chance that I'm speaking to a young woman um, who's had an abortion or a dad whose child was lost through the violence of abortion. And we have to approach that issue with grace and with dignity for both the child and the person who has experienced the horror of abortion. And so, as a Christian, I believe in the grace, forgiveness, and redemption of Jesus Christ, that Christ came to live a perfect life and die a substitutionary death um, for all sinners who will come to him as sinners seeking forgiveness and he will welcome them with open arms um, and save and redeem them and wash their sins as far as the east is from the west and so that's the first premise that i approach this as just as fervently as i believe in the humanity of preborn children i believe in the humanity of people who have committed even the most grievous of sins and I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for those people as well. And so that understanding of grace and redemption informs that. And second, a right understanding of myself. What is it the Apostle Paul says? He says that um, he was the chief of sinners. Mm -hmm. And so when we properly see, and I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, when no, we ahead. properly see our own sin, and the gift of grace that's been done for us, we very quickly see that we cannot hold it, um, hold a grudge against a fellow human who has made a sin, uh, who's made a mistake or committed a sin in the past because God's grace and forgiveness, if God could save us, he has every right to save um, another sinner and forgive them. And so uh, I'm sure you both are aware of who Corey Ten Boom was. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're actually so part Ten of the same Boom. denomination. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom uh, tells a story where she was speaking at a conference and telling about how um, some of the horrors that she underwent in a Nazi concentration camp. And then at the end, she was talking about the gospel and talking about her own life and how God had taken her sins and thrown them as far into the sea. Uh, as humanly imaginable. She says at the end of her talk, she noticed a man walking down the aisle to meet her. 
and she recognized him. He was one of the the Nazi soldiers that had abused her and confined her in the concentration camp. And immediately what welled up in her soul was bitterness. And then the Holy Spirit came in and she felt guilt because she realized she had just given this talk about the grace and forgiveness of God. And here was a Nazi soldier, former Nazi soldier, soldier down at the end of the aisle and he was holding out his hand to shake hers. And she said, uh, when she wrote about this later, she said, who was I to turn him away? And so they ended up having a really good conversation after. But all that is to say, I don't approach the right to life issue from a holier than thou standpoint. Um, I do think that abortion is wrong. But I also believe in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and that every single one of us, no matter what we've done, can be forgiven. And so I don't look at someone who's had an abortion with disgust. I look at them with love. I look at them the same way Jesus has looked at me. Amen, amen. You know, and I know there's a few, but I know there's one prominent uh, person on X who has had several abortions, but has seen the light and now she's a prominent person. And people try to throw that at her, but... Like you mentioned, she says, I'm a sinner redeemed by grace. And just because I made a mistake in the past doesn't mean I have to continue that mistake now. And she's fighting for pro-life issues. Before we wrap this is up. That Abby, is, that, is that Abby Johnson? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Before we wrap this up, for those who are in your district, um, when is the election? What are some key dates coming up? I don't know if local elections have like caucuses and stuff like that, but what are some of the key dates? When is the election? And what are some of the things they would need to know to make sure they vote for the vote for you or vote for whoever they want? Because obviously elections are free. Absolutely. So our primary election is on May 21st. So if you're a registered Republican, you can vote in the primary on May 21st, and that's going to choose between three candidates, uh, someone to be the Republican nominee to go on to November. And I would, mm-hmm. I would be very honored to earn your support. If you're not a registered Republican, maybe you're, you're an independent or something like that, but you've liked what you heard tonight, you have the option to um, go to the, you can go into the county clerk's office or you can do it online um, through the Idaho Secretary of State's office you could change your voter registration to republican just to vote in the primary and then if if you want to change it back go for it but we'd love to have you in the family <laughs> but um that that would be the first thing and then if if uh god is gracious to me and i win the primary uh the the general election will be in november and uh that's when if you're an independent democrat whoever i'd uh, i'd love to earn your vote then too Okay. And what does, um, is your, I know you're a new father. You, I mean, it's only, your baby's only five years old. So congrats once again. How do you, um, days old. What? Yeah. What did I say? What did I say? Years. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Five days old. Five days old. How do you ramp up the campaign between now and then? Because you have to spend time with your child, but obviously you also have to get awareness up. So how do you balance that, being a new father and a politician? And, a, and obviously you work for a living as well. That's true. 
Um, so my job is very flexible and it gives me the time that I need um, to focus on the campaign. I've taken a couple of weeks off for baby and everything, but mm. as soon as these sub-zero temperatures go away and <laughs> mercy, uh, exactly. And, uh, and uh, mom and baby get settled a little bit more. I'm going to start knocking doors. And so between now and May, I have about 14,000 doors that I need to knock on and just talk to the voters one-on-one -on -one who I am, why I'm running. And, uh, so that's going to be our big focus. We're going to take this campaign to every single door in the district, and uh, it's going to it's going to be great, great experience, great conversation. Um, it's it's always wonderful to get out and talk to to folks and hear what's on their mind. Yeah, that's important. Getting to know them on a one on one basis. What if you have the honor to serve in your legislature? Uh, body there in Idaho. What does it look like? Because here, you know, and every state is different. Uh, do you guys would would you meet quarterly? Do you meet weekly? Um, how does how does it work in the state level there? Yeah, hundred percent. So Idaho is what's called a citizen part time legislature, which means for eighty eight days, once a year in the springtime. They get together and have their legislative session. And then after those 88 days are done, you go back home and you work a job or your business or whatever, just like the folks in your district. Mm. And I think it's an amazing mm. setup because there's a few states that have full-time legislat uh, legislatures. But here in Idaho, they go away for a little under three months and then they got to come back and live in the district. And actually, right now, uh, on uh, – on, uh, January 9th, no, January 8th was when Idaho started this year's legislative district, uh, legislative session. And so um, all the senators and representatives are down in Boise right now mm -hmm. uh, for the legislative session. And so uh, about a week before the session started, I ran into my opponent, Representative McCann, who, is, uh, who represents us down there. And I said, Representative McCann, I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you while you're down there. And I I, I truly believe that's important for all of us to do. Mm -hmm. is regardless of how we feel about who holds the political office, um, we need to be praying for them. So right now, Idaho's legislature is in session, and uh, we should definitely be praying for them as they have some tough decisions to make. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I, cool. I, I just I just have one one more question. So yeah, then we hold on. Then we'll end on a fun note. But go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So my, so my last question. So obviously we spent a lot of time talking about abortion. That's obviously an issue that's important to you. Obviously, since Roe versus Wade has been overturned, that has changed the game as far as the pro life fight is. And like I I'm in Michigan, right? And Listen, while I'm as pro-life as it gets, right, like I believe that life begins at conception and should be protected from that moment. Um, what we saw in Michigan, which were a purple state at best, light blue at, at worst at this point. But um, what we saw with our, our candidate, uh, the GOP candidate, Tudor Dixon, right, and Republicans was a prop, was a prop three, which would have basically – or prop three, which passed, which basically – enshrined abortion into our state constitution and from a pro-life standpoint i look at that and i say listen i was kind of against some of the stuff that was being pushed super hard because 
if if now abortion is enshrined in the Constitution, we're in a lot worse a scenario than say abortion still being legal but not enshrined. Obviously, you're in a Republican state, so it's a little bit different. But what is the state of of legal abortion in Idaho? And like, what's yeah, what's the battlegrounds? Like, what's it look like in your state? Yeah, so Idaho's in a unique uh, standpoint in that the only way a constitutional amendment uh, like Prop 3 in Michigan or the one that just passed in Ohio or something like that could get passed is if it originates in the legislature. So they can't get signatures and put it on the ballot in Idaho. It has to come out of the legislature and then get put to a vote by the people, which makes the job that I'm running for all the more important. Yes, so, it does. Um, one of my opponents, Mr. Mr. Dalby, he has promised uh, not to vote to restrict or loosen restrictions on abortion, not to change the law at all until it's settled in the state constitution, which to me is like just begging the question, because if you're a legislature, you're the one that would write the constitution. You'd write the amendments mm-hmm. to the constitution. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's definitely a really important issue. What's the legal state of abortion in Idaho? Right now, uh, life is protected from the moment of conception onward with the exceptions of rape, incest, and to save the mother's life. However, um, if so in Moscow, Idaho, we're about 12 minutes from the Washington border. If uh, you go to a doctor in Washington, you can have an abortion pill shipped straight to your door. Um, so just because you can't get an abortion in Idaho, except in those limited circumstances, doesn't mean they aren't happening in Idaho. So I, those, those three things, protecting all lives, starting at conception, fighting to enshrine the right to life in the Constitution, and shutting down mail-order abortions are, are uh, the next three battles in the state of Idaho for the pro-life movement. You know, and the thing about exception for rape, I have a family member that is a product of rape. And I'm, you know, I thank God that uh, my family member didn't abort it because, I mean, I love the person. They're part of the family. And and so that life is worth living as well. Through no fault of their own, they were conceived. But I'm glad they're, they're alive and thriving. They have a family. They're married. They have kids. And so it could be redeemed. And so every life is precious. Let's end, though, on a lighter note. So what does a new father who's a politician, former military, what do you do for fun? There's got to be some downtime. Well, maybe not as a new father, but (laughs) before babyhood, what do you like to do to unwind and have some fun? Yeah, so I, I love to read. I am a voracious reader. So um, uh, my wife's in the other room right now, but I would show you my library. It's books and books and books and books. So I love to read books and a lot of them. So I do a lot of that. Um, Believe it or not, there you go. There you go. Believe it or not, uh, politics politics and theology have always been two things that have really fascinated me. So, and history. Those three things are probably my prime prime Mm -hmm. subjects. So, yeah, reading is definitely top of my list. Awesome, awesome. And and I know Joey's a, a voracious reader, and so am I. 
Um, I'm actually almost done with the entire Bible for the month of January. I'm in Acts. Yeah, it's it's it was a challenge somebody gave me. Anyway, look, we wish you nothing but the best. I to have a young person in politics who is pro-life, who is conservative value, is a rarity. Uh, as we mentioned at some earlier point, we got you know. I don't want to make fun of older people, but we need young blood. We need people who have a skin in the game, like Joey said, who are going to be around 30, 40 years post their serving in office. So I want to thank you. And I want to thank you also that you're not a Christian nationalist because we are in the world, but not of the world. And we have to remember that ultimately our kingdom is not of this world. And, um, Joey, any closing comments, and then we'll have Colton have the last word. No, I just would say if anybody is watching, if anybody watches this in the future from Idaho, I would say this is somebody you should go and vote for. It. I, I, you definitely seem like you got a solid head, and you you know what you, you know what you're fighting for. So, wish you okay. wish you all the best. All right, brother. We'll leave you with the last word. Well, thank you. No, thanks for having me on. It's been great to have a conversation about these. These issues that are um, really important. I, I, I guess I'll say this. So I'm also in school part time, too, mm-hmm. uh, working on my uh, my bachelor's degree right now. The other day, I went into the college campus and there was a, a whiteboard that was written up, and the school librarian had asked a question, and people were supposed to write an answer underneath. And the question was, "How do you choose who to vote for? How do you choose who to vote for?" And some of the answers really scared me. Because it was things like, I vote for the candidate with the most swag on TikTok. And I got to thinking about that. So I served in the military. My father served in the military. My grandfather did. My great-grandfather did. I don't believe for a moment that the guys who crawled over the bodies of their buddies on the beaches of Normandy did so so that people could vote for the candidate with the most swag. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm running is because these things really matter. The things we talked about tonight, the country that God has blessed us with, these things matter. And with God's grace and your support, I want to keep making sure that they do matter to the next generation, to my little girl and her children, and so on. So thank you all for having me on tonight. Colton Bennett, candidate for state representative in Idaho. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you very much. And until next time, everybody, on the Gio and Joey show, we're going to have a special guest uh, next week. But thank you, Colton, another special guest tonight. God bless.